Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 103 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Cheryl Jaquil back on the show with us today. Cheryl is the founder of Lean Leadership Research Centre that supports the development of lean leaders and cultures. Cheryl is the director of the American Manufacturing Excellence Association and author of the book, Lean Human Resources. Let's get into the episode. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to see you again, Brad. Cheryl, I think we caught up back in the episode teens. Um, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago, but we're now 111 episodes. Like, what have you been up to since our last episode? Well, man, that was like, it is quite a ways back. Um, well, came through COVID and all those changes. I've been out in the last year doing predominantly I've developed a leadership training I call Core Leadership, and it's a one-year program that develops a coaching style of leadership. I started doing it four years ago. During COVID, it went completely onto Zoom. Now that we're back in person, way better. (laughs) Going much better back in person, but um, it's been an area of focus. Um, It's really the most fundamental leadership training. Like when I was coming through HR frontline supervisory training, which I've uh, renovated towards a more continuous improvement culture, that more coaching style, creating independence. So I, I fixed everything I thought was wrong with what was out there. And then um, I think from a lean perspective, the way I describe it, I was just talking to someone about it at lunch. I infused the HR skills into the leadership modules. I've always thought it, HR isn't lean by the way the function generally operates like it's kind of like it kind of separated the people part into separate people instead of making sure your leaders are really able to handle a wider range of people issues so it was a dream of mine many years ago and now it's come to fruition and i really love 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 doing it that's awesome core leadership too cheryl i think if i reflect back on the 111 episodes i've had the frequency that leadership comes up is so critical and I guess it just it's in all realms isn't it Jim Collins and Cotter and anyone you think of so building a course in that realm is just brilliant I guess you've got that background of the people and culture and HR side and the lean side to bring into it well what what's your view on that Cheryl that that piece of the importance of leadership to getting that continuous improvement culture just to get your view on that space First, I just love this question. I don't know why. <laughs> Here's something that struck me 10 years ago was that we were, I was talking to some people who with 15, 20 years of lean, people I really respect and admire, and they were still saying, you know, we're still stuck here. And then one of them admitted to me, he's like, I'm still stuck here. And I looked to him, he's like, he's one of the leanest guys I know. And he's like, I'm still stuck at, I don't really coach the way I want to. And I thought, I felt like I was right at the cusp of this very important piece around we don't really have a very easy way for leaders to share with each other 
the challenge of being that coach. You know, do I tend to still want to give advice or have control or, you know, how do I really shift my mode? And so really the work partly has been devoted to when it first worked, nobody was more surprised than me. But what had worked wasn't something I did. It was bringing the leaders together. And as they went on the journey together and started to share how hard it is and watch each other shift and change. And they all got on the same page and felt supported. Who knew that if people can share a common problem that they they do better? <laughs> so I think um, one of the things I think the style of leadership we're looking for is a fairly tall order. And we haven't really given it a big enough intervention, a, a big, you know, we're not doing enough to make it happen. And we keep treating it like, well, you ought to be able to do it. If you're just a normal adult, you ought to be able to coach. And I'm like, I don't think so. Much less if you're used to being wired towards, um, you know, I'm used to feeding my team rather than teaching them how to fish. It's hard to give that up. I love feeding my team. I like being helpful. And people describe having some definite immediate loss. And I'm like, they're not going to get down that road easily. And certainly not without helping each other. Sure, that's such a interesting comment you made. I'm, I'm used to feeding my team rather than teaching them how to feed themselves and you know if you if you go back to the 80s and a lot of that era a lot of the research and study coming out of that was leaders being too dominant and how do you stop being so dominant and command and control but that whole teaching a person to fish i'd agree with you now it's like we've swung the other way where we're too helpful and we're disempowering people by being too helpful it's an interesting do you, have you seen that journey too from the 90s through to where we are now? Would you say, no, it's still the same problem in the 90s in America? I guess I'm I'm taking an Australian view here. No, I mean, I think it's the same. And um, people say, I mean, there's a lot of kind of confusion around the leadership role is to remove obstacles and leadership role is, and again, their teams come to them and go like, what should we do about this problem and the other problem? And they want to feel useful. And so I don't know if I consider it recent. But I definitely think it's going to get in the way of creating the kind of independent problem solvers. I mean, company after company I talk to, I think around the world say, I'd really like a team of problem solvers. And that's not going to come from people that, you know, are really what we what I think of as leader dependent. Plus, much of the asking for help, I think, is really around like taking like I, I'm afraid to take the risk or I'm afraid of getting blamed or I'm not sure of myself. They're needing leaders to encourage them. And, yeah. you know, bring them forth. But again, if leaders mostly are following how they were brought up, that's not how they were. That's not how they were mentored. So they're going to just start doing that. Mm -hmm. And there's such a such a pressure there to just give the answer. Like, I've got the answer. Just give the answer and get them get them out of the way because I'm busy. Or there's a emotional pressure of I want to help them. They're in pain. This is awkward for them. And sometimes it can take a bit more of a firmer conversation not extreme but it, to say to someone okay so what do you think <laughs> what could you do that that can be really awkward for a leader to have that conversation yeah they'll always say to me like well sure how do I do that like how, they see the change how and I'm like so what's in your heart for your people and then they'll start to describe for me even big burly men they'll go well I want them to I want them to be independent. I want them to grow as professionals. I want them to be able to know what to do on their own without me being there. And I'm like, so say that. Share that. Instead of you just shift asking questions, 
share for them your desire of what you want them to grow in and become. So when you say, what do you think? It's your way of caring for them instead of it's my way of like, because they do at first go like, why are you saying that? Like, I care too much about you to keep giving you the answer and you not grow on your own. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool conversation because Joe, I, I believe on a different topic, I believe strategy deployment is extremely important because if you can't help everyone have their version of the company vision or mission or whatever you want to call it and their aspirational goals towards it, how can you get Toyota Carter going? How can you get Agile going? You, you can't because people don't have an aspirational goal. But then you look at it from this conversation, the other silver bullet is if, you, if we can't shift our language to want to empower people through our language, but also create that level of nice tension and teach them to fish, well, they're not going to chase that aspirational goal, are they? They're going to feel like, oh, it's up to the boss. I've just got to leave my brain at the gate. This is interesting because I think there's another silver bullet here. Not that I believe there's ever silver bullets, but I think this is probably one of those topics, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. I, that's why I've just become really interested in, in the change. And a lot of times I think in these cultures, there's some things working towards what you're talking about, that kind of the strategy deployment and the problem solving and the, but there's oftentimes other things that are moving counter to it. Like, what do you do if someone makes a mistake? Um, even one of the groups I'm working with, they're discovering HR has a number of practices that would be working in a different direction. So I think some of it is making sure everything's heading more in the same direction and actively looking for anything that actually runs counter to that, that kind of independence. And Yeah. Well, this is a great segue, isn't it? Because I know you, yourself and other um, key people in, in our, in our world, like Peter Hines have been working on the people value stream piece and using we, we, you and I are talking about leading up to the show, the whole piece of empathy for continuous improvement also. Do you mind explaining these two pieces? Because that, you mentioned that alignment, things have got to be aligned. And I'm sure this connects back to this conversation on people value stream and using empathy for continuous improvement. Yeah. I mean, what I, I usually start this with is what it's not, because even I, when Peter first said, you know, people value stream, I was like, oh, I'm used to talking about lean HR. The problem when you work in the field of lean HR is people's face literally wrinkles up. They kind of make this expression of like, you know, like as if I don't know, it's an uncomfortable topic about that. So when he starts talking about people value, so it's like, oh, it'll be like the other word for lean HR. And it'll talk about the employment processes and the flow of those processes. And I think even you said, isn't that what it is? Nope, that's not what it is. Um, that's good news. It's, it's not like that. Um, really, it's been the last couple of years studying, really, it's the way people flow. So if, and when I compare it to equipment, I mean, if and you're in many manufacturing environments, they have equipment and that equipment works a certain way. It has a flow, has the things it needs to be for preventative maintenance and to make it optimal and things that make it run faster or smoother or better. Well, humans are the same way. And thank God the field of continuous improvement doesn't need to start the thinking about what makes people tick. So a lot of it has been taking things that are well known about psychology and motivation and what people need and how they feel. And um, so the idea is if you could optimize how your people function or flow, their flow, not just your the flow of the, your processes, but the flow of your humans, then you'll get the best results. And that's when it's more than a theoretical idea. It's really down to understanding 
basically human motivation. When you said it ties back, if you think about the coaching thing, we have to figure out how people are naturally motivated. And if you're going to shift their approach, we have to, I would keep saying work with the green, not against the green. How do they normally, what motivates them? What, you know, especially if they're going to change, how do people change? Well, take what's known about that and then apply those ideas. So it's been, so we think about how they flow. Uh, people have a tremendous need to have mastery of skills, to be able to have a sense of confidence in what they're doing and what they're doing that they're good at it. A lot of times continuous improvement is fixing the things that make people feel like they're failing or frustrated or not competent <laughs> and making sure they have it. They have a need for community. That's a common, we, we don't do enough with that, of, their, of the human need to be in community and connect. But again, teamwork feeds that. But how can we, so it's like, how do we work more with these ideas? Um, they also have a huge need for autonomy. We were just talking about how to help them be more independent. A lot of people, what we'll do is we'll ask in the audience, we'll go, what are three things in your job that motivate you? What are three things that demotivate you? And almost always when we get the list, you can see these ideas come in there. They'll say, I don't like being micromanaged. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like people breathing down my nose. <laughs> And they like, a lot of times the experiences they enjoy have autonomy in them. They like to be more independent. So I'm just saying, like, if we know this to be true, then head in that direction. Yeah, it's, it's too true, isn't it? And it's so cool when you talk about this piece that we've been focusing on the flow of value, you know, the flow of the product or service and how do we enhance that, where now it's, it's this critical factor of the humans who are interacting to make that happen and how do we create that flow that community that autonomy the things that actually motivate and inspire humans to yeah. really go to that extra level so what does this what does this look like if, if i'm a company and i'm going wow yeah i want to look at this i want to think about how do i take my people and you know improve the employee value stream the people value stream what does it look like how, how do I go about it? What would I do? I mean, it's interesting in general. So this goes back to the empathy. One thing is that's really where this trend towards what we call designing employee experiences. And so if you said, how do we? So this also fundamentally is uh, more appreciative of the fact that actually people feel first and think second. Really, we're much more feeling people. As humans, people feel a lot. They feel their way through things more than they think their way through things. So by using how people feel, um, to guide the best employee, employee experiences. So from the field of agile and um, design thinking is when we started to um, use uh, empathy mapping to look at a situation and kind of chart out for what's happening in the situation, of which I think I share with you, we even have continuous improvement professionals doing it like with their work. Like when we approach a team, let's chart out what's happening and then, so what are people doing? What are they thinking? What are they saying? And how are they likely feeling? And as you chart that out over, you know, six, seven, eight steps, you step back and you start to see moments that matter and opportunities for improvement. And what I've loved about this as a path to improvement is it's really obvious then. I mean, they take 10 minutes to make, and then you're like, oh, well, they'd likely feel overwhelmed here or discouraged here or isolated here. And then you just fix that. It just is like it shows it when you just do process mapping. It's like it's not attached to feelings. And actually, it's very motivating. 
we're naturally motivated by connecting to how other people feel more than thinking about them, their objects. It's really cool, sure, because I know that technique and I've heard the language of employee journey mapping on that technique too, is that you're honing in on the employee journey. What are they doing? And then you can really connect that interface of where they connect with the product and service value stream, I guess, but also leaders interacting with them. And at those interactions, you can then be thinking, okay, so what are they at those interactions? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What opportunity have we got? And I'm going to see you're going to you're going to identify ways to adjust our leadership approach, but also ways to adjust the systems and the process of the environment to help. Is that correct? Like it seems really holistic. I love that, but it's sometimes it's a simple tool anyone could use. Like I'd had a gentleman doing strategy deployment with his leaders, and it didn't go well. So he was telling me, like, this didn't go well. I thought I did it right, but they walked away unhappy. So then he mapped it, and then he saw it. He's like, oh, I was ahead of them there. I didn't really give them a voice here. I didn't really share the way that would have been more effective. And then it was like, he could fix it. He could change it. So I think what I want to be clear is I don't think it's all about mapping the whole, you know, the whole employment journey. You can apply it. And that's when I saw an improvement team do it the other day. Every time they launched a Kaizen event, so to speak, or were being brought in, it kept having not great experiences working with people internally. And they mapped it. They mapped their experience. And then we found every time they were unhappy because their internal customer wasn't happy and that made them unhappy. And then they fixed it. They said, "Ah, we should do this, this, this. And then they changed it. Yeah. I think I've seen in years. I love this. It does. It sounds awesome because Cheryl, I've largely um, used it and seen it used for the whole journey. Do you know what I mean? The whole way you're trying to strategically think where in the employee journey am I struggling? But this takes it to a whole new level where it's down to, okay, around this critical moment, this critical process, this critical event, okay, what's that journey? And you can really get into some great stuff. And it's so simple. But what I love about that, it really is using human empathy to guide where's the issue at. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, I'm also to Cheryl on this. Some people will be thinking, I'm guessing they'll be thinking, oh, why, you know, can't we just adjust as we go? But I've got Mike Rother and Jeff Leica in my brain with that book, Learning to See. Because putting it to post-its or putting it up on a map like this does help you learn to see, doesn't it? Like just trying to do stuff in the moment is so difficult. What's your thoughts as to why? Why does it help as a human or humans that we step back and we might put something to post-its or use mural and do an uh, value st- a people journey map or a people value stream map on an event. Why does it help us see and get aha moments versus just trying to deal with things in the moment? I don't know the technical answer for it. I think what I usually say is it helps make it not so personal. It's like if those same people had sat around and talked amongst themselves, it's like it gets them out of the same framework when they put it up on the whiteboard and then they step back and they looked at it and they simply followed the feeling, then they saw what's making us unhappy. And they said, oh, well, it's the way we're approaching them that makes them upset, which upsets us. Like, change it. I don't know why it is. I always, everything in my training life keeps telling me we need to find a way to make things not so personal, not so, like, I always say it's up on the wall, like it's on the wall. So it's easier to talk about. 
Yeah, it takes the map isn't us. Yeah, takes the emotion out of it to some degree. I guess just like a good root cause event where you're bringing people around a, a fishbone diagram or a cause tree, it just takes the emotion out of it. Like it stops being he said, she said, and becomes okay. Let's look at it and fix it, doesn't it? There's something interesting there. Yeah, I love I love where you're going with it, but Sharon, I think this is definitely a missing link because I'm I'm reflecting on coaching I've done where. I guess this is a problem too, is that sometimes as uh, someone who's seen things many times, you're looking at a situation as clear as day and you're like, my goodness, I just need to coach them on this topic. But you've got to be careful not to guide them. There can be no awareness in that person of it. So the open coaching approach has got very little bandwidth. You know, you're asking them, what's your goal with this situation? You know, you might be using Grow, but they could be completely oblivious to anything to do with the problem there that you saw. And so potentially going and going, okay, well, do you mind if we, how did you feel about that? And they're like, oh, I think it didn't go too well. It wasn't good. Well, going to a um, people value stream mapping or an employee journey mapping technique could really help them see and learn and improve in I such a big way. They don't see, right. Yeah, I love this. I'm thinking of yeah. so many situations where I'm like, oh, this could have helped. Yeah, and they kind of like it. I think, first of all, they're fast to do. I mean, they only take a few minutes. Um, one of the common ways we start doing them is on just on onboarding. But again, don't wait for, like, your people department. I mean, even just in your own department, I'm about to onboard a person. Let's map that out and get a sense what they're going to be feeling as we do whatever, and they will spot opportunities for improvement. And they just, it makes them happy. When they think, I can make this new person in our team happier, and more engaged and more pleased to be here. It just makes the team, it just is, it creates a nice lift in it. And then they're like, well, that was easy. Yeah. That wasn't and, hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I do a lot of customer journey mapping, Cheryl. That's something I do a lot in the agile world. And I know that that really makes people sit in the customer's shoes, like it gets them deep in the customer's shoes. This technique, very similar, isn't it? But it gets it gets them to sit in their employee's shoes very deeply. And, and I guess that brings that high level of empathy that, you mentioned that connects to it so strongly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's been really rewarding. And, and I think, I mean, it's always been my longest suit. It's it's literally my greatest strength is I'm highly empathetic. <laughs> so being able to see how that is like a tool um, is a whole new thing. So well, yeah, well, I think I was talking to our HR um, people and culture leader the other day at a company and they were talking about we want to employ, improve the employee journey. We want to make it better. What do we do? I've never sent anything out there. And and I was like, wow, I actually know a lady that's cutting edge on this stuff because it is cutting edge. This is not this has not been around. This is I've seen snippets of it over the internet from different little bits here and there. But you yourself and Peter and others, you're actually creating a whole new way here. This is new. Yeah. A couple of the things I'd have someone think about if you were heading towards reshifting your, I say it's like having a different lens on. You're still, you know, your organization's still roughly maybe functioning the way it is, but it's like a different, is we think about people more individually, more if you, they're separate human beings with their own separate lives and their separate ways of thinking and their separate needs. And so when we look at metrics, we're talking about how would you shift your metrics? Like the last time we talk about engagement, it's an aggregate. Or um, how many improvement ideas do we have instead of how many do we have by person? 
Um, even things like learning and development, a lot of times they'll say, well, we have all these examples of people that got promoted or learned. Every single human being that is not learning, and I don't care if they're three months from retirement, is suboptimal. They have an innate desire to learn. And so a lot of times things like learning, we're always like, well, we set it up to meet the needs of the career path or the company. But what we're saying is that let's say you met a you created it to meet the needs of the humans. If you have a thousand people, all 1000 are learning, then you'll have even better results. Instead of, I think it just creates a whole new window. Um, so I think a lot of it is shift your metrics to more by person and what are you measuring to really measure psychological safety, well-being, um, all of those kinds of things, learning, mastery, you know, behaviors, Certainly the whole idea of key behavior indicators, there's, yeah. Um, so I think it's shifting um, more optimizing each person. Yeah, each that's huge. Is, a, is an opportunity to yeah. unleash what they can do. Wow. So I'm guessing, Cheryl, this technique, you can really hone down to even an individual leader and team event and map that, or it could be at a mid-level event that's happening across a broader part of the value stream. Or I guess in some cases you could go up the whole employee journey throughout a company and and get that high level perspective. But I can see as you go down to that really narrow piece, you really get massive results. Yeah. Now in this field, by the way, so this book comes, some of the work I originally started to work from is from a book called Agile HR. And I'd have to, I don't know if we'll have a way. Do you have it there? I have it on my bookshelf. I do have it here. I'll see if I can get it quickly. Um, and it really wasn't hard to follow. And it's by Natal Denk and Rena Hellstrom. So this is the book. Oh yeah, here's my copy here. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, great book, isn't it? Yeah, it was just easy to follow. So it's not a complicated and it goes into the personas. That was the other thing I was gonna mention. It'll talk in there about how you through interviewing could get to know your population and start to say like we have people like this grouping and that grouping so when you're the piece up against the employment journey is realizing a lot of things we do is like one size fits all and there was a really good example of it in one of our people in our people value stream community that said they did um and it's a big company well known they were doing a career week and I'm used to career planning is like, okay, here's the way we're going to do career planning. We're going to put our people, all the people through this process. And if you're like maybe not in a career path mode, then you're just not in it. And we're going to do one thing. And guess what? It's not like that. So what they created was much more individual, much more of a menu. You pulled it. So if you wanted to know more about your career interests, then you would select those things. Um, they did something on uh, imposter syndrome about how people feel like they're holding themselves back. And then there was like all these different things all week and people could pick and choose and they tried to create something for everybody. And so some people did a lot and some people did a little, but it was much more individualized towards people in different needs, different phases. Um, one of the things that's taught me just because people are roughly the same age and even demographics doesn't mean they're the same. No, like, no. Young mothers are, that's one thing they have in common, but they're different people with different needs. So don't bucket people so easily, like just because of two things about them, they must be the same. Hence, they'll have the same needs. Yeah, I understand, Cheryl, that that um, employee persona 
it's really that comes in powerful at that high level where you're looking to map the whole journey because you, you're trying to aggregate into four or five or six different typical personas we've got. But as you go micro, like you're talking down to a particular event, you don't even need the persona then because you've got the people. You know, you're, you're talking the people in the event, the people in the team. Is that correct? Right. Right. And this is a lot of times for the people I mean, so far that I've been, you know, where it's been coming up is when they're not liking what they're seeing. They're seeing that like people don't like what's happening. They're going by the negative feeling. Either we feel bad or they feel bad. And I'm saying, so map it and you'll see it. And that's where they're like, so that's where you can map it. Basically, the next time you have a, an experience that wasn't designed well, redesign it. And that's where onboarding, most people I talk to, they all want to do better onboarding. It's just the common, um, and there's examples of it in the book, and I now have many examples and watching groups do it. And that's like an easy place to go to like, what did people feel like? Like when they pulled in the parking lot, how did they feel? How did they feel when they got there? Yeah, I know. But, you know, the typical approach, and I've been there, is, oh, we've got to improve our onboarding, and everyone just starts brainstorming. But the problem is, have you shown empathy to the employee? How long has it been since you've been employed? Do you have a new onboard employee in the team you're brainstorming with? Typically not. It's typically managers who have been there a fair while. And are you really showing empathy and understanding that key spot you've got to hone on? But this process where, no, let's just map it for a few minutes or for half an hour, and then yeah. you go, ah, oh, or, and even if you can include some newly onboarded employees in that, boy, you'll you'll have some amazing outcomes. Even if it's one person, one of the groups had said, we have hired this very important leader. She's not going to be here for two months. So she's accepted the role, but she's got a two-month window that she'll need to finish where she's at and then come. And they were like, you know, we really want the best onboarding of all time. So we mapped it out. Now, here I am again, I'm naturally quite empathetic. And as we mapped it, we thought, how's she likely feeling now? And we said, she's probably feeling more the loss of her current team than what it'll feel like when she gets her new team. So she could actually be having a couple months of feeling kind of, you know, a little sideways about leaving and, you know. So they got information about everything she loves, all her favorite foods, favorite things, and made a basket and gave it to her. And then it was like, that's where that got, it's like, we would never have thought of that. And they, and they did more things to make her new team real to her during the two months at a feeling level. Not because it's a good idea. They felt their way into that. Like, yep, that's how I'd feel if I was in that two month period. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of an image of an employee empathy map that will help guide your process and learning on this key topic. Also, Cheryl Jaquiel and Peter Hines will be hosting free events upcoming to help us learn from each other. Please reach out to Cheryl, Peter or myself to get involved. Please like, subscribe and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Let's get back to the episode. And I've got to admit, you know, the bulk of my work's been customer journey mapping, and I see the amazing outcomes there. Um, I can just see this being revolutionary with the work that you're doing. I, I can hear another. I can feel another book for the future, Cheryl. So <laughs> we need we need learning to see by Cheryl Jaquiel and Peter Hines yeah. or something like that. Learning to see, learning to see with empathy the our people. You know, something in that regard. Yeah, yep. it's a huge huge topic. We're be having um, actually a people value stream 
free event, like just a network event. On August 30th, I believe it's going to be, we'll be getting out. And we're going to have um, one of the groups uh, sharing um, the use of technology to drive. It actually uses technology to grab how you feel, and it automates the improvement. How cool is that? You can actually do this through technology. Wow, nice. It monitors the onboarding. She works for Discover. And then another one is going to be sharing a whole other approach where they use focus groups and the use of images. The, the new hires pick images and then describe how they felt about different things. And the way the uh, recruiting manager says, like, it's like you get a gut punch with once you, they say, here's how this felt. Here's the picture and the statement of how that felt. And they use that to drive improvement. And it's like it's powerful. So yeah, anyway, have different, and Peter's sharing on key behavior indicators. Oh, yeah, so great. Anybody wants to come, it's free. All you have to do, just get it out to your people, join us, and or you can get the recording. And yeah. we're trying to advance this by people just sharing what they're doing, like anything yep. else. We're just going to keep sharing stories. Yeah, because I've never, it, it's only just hit me with what you said to that bringing of, you know, Peter Hines and Chris Butterworth, the work they've done on key behavior indicators and how you can actually measure behavior and lead behavior. And that linking with all this work that you're also doing on uh, people value stream mapping or employee journey mapping or whatever you want to call it is huge. Joe, how can people get involved in that? Because I want to be at that event, but how, how can others get to that event or sign up for it? I mean, you can either reach out to me at Cheryl at leanleadershipcenter.com. If they know how to reach you, you get word to you. It's yes. just getting on a list. And you don't get like extra mailings. We just, when we have events and we're looking to do about at least three or four a year. Um, we purposely, it's it's definitely not about a money-making venture. It's really, we just want to bring people together that are doing great work with their people and advancing and innovating and bring them together. And that's what it's about. So even in that, like one event, we'll maybe have four or five, six companies all share and then time to talk. Yeah, great. Cheryl, so I'll, I'll definitely... Yeah, I'd love to be there, and um, I'll, I've got a few people already that I'm thinking of. What I'll, we'll also do, Sharon, listeners, is we'll bring this episode forward a lot. Um, typically, I do have a bit of a backlog, I've got to admit, so we'll we'll get yours in early, Cheryl, to give people time to jump on that event. I guess, it, like you said, there's going to be future events too, so that'll be brilliant, because I truly believe that this is the hottest topic of helping organisations move forward in line with, like, I still believe strategy deployment is really important and cultural deployment, but those two, like, there's not much more. And then maybe customer journey mapping thrown in and you've got a trio that is extremely powerful to help your organisation progress rapidly. Yes, yes. There's yeah. lots, of, lots of new stuff coming. I know. And it is, it is relatively cutting edge, which I wonder why it's taken us like, and I guess you and I can talk to that, can't we? We can go, why has it taken this period of time to get to this position? Do you know what I mean? Like we are in in the late in the late teens and early twenties developing these innovative ways of helping people see what's most important, which is critical. The customer journey, but then very importantly is the employee journey. It's been a long while coming, but thank you for creating it for the work that you've done and Peter's done. But I should also just pay mention to Natal Dank and Rena Hellstrom also. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan. I mean, I hope to meet them someday. I'll have and, to reach uh, out to get them on the show too. Yeah, it's been one of the most impactful books um, I share everywhere I go. And um, 
Yeah, there was something I was thinking about, you know, how I think it's taking us two things, I think, because of COVID, kind of turned the world on its side and everything changed and changed the ball game. And then, you know, there's been this whole great resignation. So the whole time Peter and I were doing this work and we were using like even um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so then all of a sudden, the major HR association in the United States was out doing Maslow type webinars in the last few months. And I thought, I was trying to explain to Peter, like, I think, you know, as people now are really struggling to attract and, and keep and retain talent, they're saying, we're going to have to figure out what our people actually need. It's not a nice to have. We're going to have to figure out what to do differently if they're going to stay and want to be here and and uh, much less get people to want to to jump on board. So I think it's become like critical. Um, yeah. And then it was, I was also thinking the other day, I was talking to a group of engineers who are generally used to the improvement stuff like tools, like 5S and Kaizen's and problem solving. And he finally sat back and he goes, so Cheryl, you're saying psychology? We have to know psychology? But we said, I can see now our efforts haven't sustained. The people, we, we've we been slow to realize that we need to figure out how people operate and how they think and what they'll do, or we can keep applying those things, but we're, again, I think working against the green instead of how to figure out how to use what we know about how people think and feel and apply that to how we improve. Yeah. That I really think in the end, it's really getting clear. Why would the field of psychology, which is a science, because I keep making like it's the soft skills. I'm like, no, I think it's science. There's oodles of science around yes. how people operate. Yeah. Yeah. So time to use it. Yep. Psychology or psychiatrist, which is the brain science, it's, it's all there. I think too, Cheryl, the thing that's powerful with what yourself and Peter and Natalia and Rena are doing is that you don't necessarily have to be a psychologist to do this. Like you have a system. It's a systematic approach that you can follow, just like value stream mapping, that will help the right team have insights and make things better. You don't have to go to a psychology degree to right. to be able to achieve great outcomes based on what what you have done it's brilliant just like when mike and jeff and the team really honed in on value stream mapping you know you don't have to be an engineer with value stream mapping to really figure out how to optimize your production process or your supply chain process you know and that's why empathy how did you want to optimize how people have an experience in the workplaces? Well, use your internal guiding system, which is your use of empathy <laughs> to bring yeah, it in. Got it. Born with it. I mean, it's not like we have to go get it yeah. or go to school for it. We yeah. have it. Joe, what do you think? And I'm going to talk more broadly. Normally, I'll say on this question, what do you think stops organizations doing this right? But I think I could probably more broadly go, what do you think has stopped society doing this up until now? Why? Why is this not reared up massively earlier on? Because I think any listener right now will be like, this is critical. But why has it taken this long, would you say? I mean, I was used to early in my career as like, again, feelings are my strong suit. So like whenever we would do these analysis, I'm like heavy on feelings, less a little bit analytical, though I am still analytical. I always feel like over my career, it's been this idea of, I said, the soft skills. Or like there's the thought and then there's the feeling was somehow less important even though the whole field of emotional intelligence started to say otherwise. It was like, nope, how people feel, like that's important. I think it's gonna be coming into a broader awareness that how people feel 
is what guides what they do all the time. And how do we yeah. use that? And think of that as a soft skill or a nice or, you know, people go the touchy feely stuff. I'm like, I don't think it's the touchy feely stuff. I mean, how people feel will determine your outcome. <laughs> so I think yeah. it's making that a hard science, more like the hard facts of it, giving it really the credence that this is science science, like how people think and how they feel and how their brains work, what motivates them, how do they change. Um, some of the greatest change management theory I'd seen use what's out of the mental health field about how people counsel people into how to help make lean work. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that work, but yeah. that is like, let's take what we knew from this and apply it to how we want to make our businesses better. Yeah. I've been studying cognitive behavior therapy and things like that recently. And, you know, the insights are amazing because especially for those involved in lean and continuous improvement, things like that, it's not, it's not far different to techniques and things, you know, it just pulls it together in a different angle, doesn't it? And really tunes you in. And every lean group I've met with in years, open issue, like we're here to talk about like culture leadership. What's your number one issue? I can't get the people to change. They're resisting. It doesn't hold, doesn't sustain. I can't figure out how to get them all on board. And I'm like, so we need to use the tools of people who do know how they change and apply those rather than somehow you can magically do great problem solving or somehow you'll just do something. They just have, it's been where we got stuck. Even how people learn. I mean, I started to get major improvements when I started to say, how do people learn and how do I apply that to how do we teach this stuff? Instead yeah. of like, we just want to keep teaching this stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. And you can get information overload, can't you? So the whole traditional mass bulk teaching approach, how much actually sticks and comes out of that? You know, when you've dropped someone in a classroom and you've trained them on 30 different tools in a day or 20 different tools in a day. I can't retain that. So anyway, I, I, I just think it's hit its time. That's neat. <laughs> well, thank you, Cheryl, and thank you, Peter and uh, Natal and Rena and anyone else involved in this space. It's going to be game-changing for many organisations, which is amazing. Cheryl, what would be your Enterprise Excellence two-minute tip to leaders in, in an organisation in this area that we're talking about? What would be that two-minute tip you'd say to them? Um, you know, the way I've come to think about it this year is I used to think about it as how can you just get everyone involved in improvement in some way? Like, what can they do? But it was always mostly with how do you help the business? And I'd be thinking of how can you create avenues for people to get their jobs to work a little better for them? Um, there was something we hadn't even touched on yet called job crafting. And again, when Peter first showed it to me, I'm like, well, that's crazy. How are you going to get your job to work better for you? like all kinds of ways to get your job to work better for you. So basically invite your people to do things that make their jobs a little happier for them, a little more comfortable, a little more suited for them, a little more ways their passion and interest can come alive in their work and still get their jobs done all the same. But I think if everyone was a little happier in their jobs, then you would really still end up with exponentially better results that we'll see that optimizing people's lives and happiness optimizes the results mm. i think we only have to think back in our own careers to know that's true don't we we think right. back to those times where we were in the zone and really fired up and happy and engaged and had high morale that's when we got our best results yeah 
And he couldn't, you know, or like it's Monday morning. I can't wait to get there. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, let's go. You're on holidays so, and your brain's yeah. thinking, oh, okay. Yeah. Do it. But yeah. Thanks, Joe. So, Joe, what's been a recent, oh, I know you've had so many insights through this journey that yourself and Peter have been on the last little bit, but what's been the biggest insight you've had recently? I've had recently. Um, and there's been so many. I think one that I've had most recently is, I'm just actually writing about it this week. I think people, we all know that, that we need to feel successful. I've always said people are hardwired to need to be successful. The issue in our current environments is everyone's, a lot of people have um, either people shortages, they don't have enough people, or they're having people leave and they have a lot of new people, and they're having all kinds of supply chain problems. So we're asking our teams to work in environments that are fraught with challenges. And so that's a recipe for them to feel not successful and it to damage them when your output is gonna be the same either way. I mean, it's not their issue that you can't get as far. So I've been actually thinking my insight is we need to restructure goals and expectations to match what we're asking of our teams to ensure they feel successful based upon the circumstance. Like one team had their HR group during COVID spend most of their time tracking and making sure everybody knew and you know they had contacted everybody. And so it scratched all the goals. Guess what? You ended up with the team that felt like they failed when actually they had done exactly what was asked of them until midnight most nights. So I think it's really ask ourselves if our teams in this environment can feel successful with what they're being asked of. And if we need to make adjustments, make them so they know they are successful given the situation they're in. Yeah, too true. Too true. I've got an insight I've done on that recently, Cheryl, that um, out of Agile, I've learned a lot more about you know, the sprint goal, your longer term vision and goal, but setting a sprint goal, but not going too far ahead. And so you see a lot of my charts behind me now are, are blank, but all you do is draw a little black line for like two or three months ahead to go, well, from where we're at right now, our current state, Mike Roth will work again. Let's just move to here. You know, it might be that I was a mile off where I was two months ago, but I'm just going to claw my way back. And I'll tell you, Cheryl, the power of that is huge. You know? It is huge. People are just so motivated. Yeah, you want to win. Success. And if they're going to have a failure, I mean, I love Mike's work, by the way. That little, if you're going to have a failure, make it a little baby one and you can course correct right away so that it's not demoralizing. It's just a little little setback. We learn for anything that you learn from that and now try something else. Yeah, but and just definitely move you make back. small incremental celebrations. I don't think I go anywhere that people are like, we don't celebrate enough. We don't celebrate the little things. Yeah. We're always like, it's never enough, never enough. We're always churning. And I'm like, humans are fed by a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, that's it. And if they you're, need- if, yeah, and if your figures are so far down in the red that you just can't see your way back, yeah, you're going to be demotivated, something chronic. But if you adjust your current state and just try to get back a certain portion, well, no, they're going to be motivated to do that because we can do it. We can get there. Yeah, like, here's what's realistic and can you stretch it a little? Like, yep, yeah, we could do that. We yeah. can do what we can do and a little better. Yeah. And then you're set up to feel good. Yeah. We just said it's harder for any group to accomplish things if they're feeling discouraged and like they're not getting it done. Yeah. I think on that topic, we need to send the thanks out to Mike Roth, uh, Jeff Sutherland, Ken Schwaber. These people have done a lot of work in that space. But I think, um, Cheryl, we've covered some amazing topics and I'm so excited in relation to where this is going to go in the future. Like I think we've, I think yourself and Peter and others are on a massive topic here to truly create a better future. 
and help things stick and help things go forward more effectively. Um, how can people reach out to you, Cheryl? Like you've already mentioned your, um, how would you, is it best that people reach out to yourself if they want to learn more? Just Cheryl at leanleadershipcenter.com. Yeah, so great. that's my email and it's the easiest way. You can go out to my website, Lean Leadership Center, and you can certainly subscribe through there. Um, but I love hearing from you. And again, I'm really um, have become very much interested in creating a broader network of people who want to learn from other people, other organizations. Um, I have definitely found by this age, it feeds me, as I would say. It, it definitely it's it's what makes me happy um, yeah. is helping connect people and uh, helping them meet each other. So. Oh, Cheryl, thank you. I'll, I will definitely get this episode up quickly um, to give people time for that event. And we'll put more details on the show notes about that event so that people can easily get to it. Because it is, it is for many, this is a new topic. This is this is sort of cutting edge. And um, I know there'll be many that will want to learn. So Cheryl, thank you for everything you've done and everything you continue to do to help us create a better future. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you, Brett. Enjoyed it very much. Bye for now. What a great episode. Remember, you can visit our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of an image of an employee journey map that will help guide your process and learning in this key approach. Also, Cheryl Jaquiel and Peter Hines will be hosting free events upcoming to help us learn from each other. Please reach out to Cheryl, Peter or myself to get involved. Please like, subscribe and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. Firstly, employee journey or empathy mapping as a way to improve micro events, processes and challenges. I've always used employee journey mapping with organizations to help them explore and improve strategically the journey of their employees from discovery through to onboarding through to growth and eventually to devotion, the whole journey. This technique Cheryl described of using the approach in a more micro way to improve one aspect of the process on our event was amazing. Starting with what the employees are doing, showing empathy to this, and then exploring the employee-facing or impact aspects through the journey, as well as what they are thinking, feeling, and then exploring ways of improving is amazing. It allows us to enhance the employee experience at the same time as the process and outcomes achieved. The second key insight for me was Cheryl's discussion around employee experience and engagement being a major outcome to any change or improvement sustaining and achieving success. This is obvious when you think about it, but it is not something that's front of mind every day. If we can improve the employee journey through a change, improvement event, or a general process we are working on will ultimately help achieve sustainable results. It is a credit to Cheryl and Peter Hines for this work. I know they have been focused on how to achieve sustainable improvement and change for so many years. Thanks for all that you have done and continue to do, Cheryl, to help us create a better future. Bye for now.